If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. Uh, we've been doing a series of lessons on the subject of worship on Sunday mornings, and along with that, we've taken some time on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights to cover other topics that basically blend in with that. So I want to highlight this before we get into our lesson this morning, and that is tonight uh, we will take some of the things we have studied this morning and talk about having anxiety. Is it a sin to be anxious? We're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to look specifically at Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 6 and 7, when it says, be anxious for nothing. And so we'll take what we've learned this morning about prayer and put that to good use. Next Sunday morning, uh, we will do our fourth lesson in this series, uh, pardon me, fifth lesson in this series, and I'll conclude our series on worship as we talk about our singing. And so look forward to that next Sunday morning. And Sunday night will be, is it a sin to sing or to worship? with instruments. That will be next Sunday night. So you don't want to miss those uh, as we are together and learning more about how we can grow and uh, worship together in spirit and in truth. So let's begin with prayer. God, we praise you and we thank you for the opportunity to be together today in this assembly to be able to worship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we know that our voices blend together this day with many other saints around the world that have spent an hour or more in worship to you. We are grateful so much, Father, for the privilege of being able to meet here free from persecution, that we can worship you in spirit and in truth, that we have a Bible that we can open and read and study and apply, and that we can sing together and we can lay aside an offering, we can commune around the table, and we can also spend time hearing your word proclaimed from the pulpit. We pray your blessings upon our congregation as we seek to do things according to your will. We pray, Father, that you'll help us to remember that it's essential for us to submit to you and to, to consider what we do and why we do it and how we do it to better please you, God, because this worship is about you solely. and We want to do things uh, that please you, Lord. And as we leave here this morning and as we go about our daily uh, walk, whatever we may be doing, whether it be work or school or other activities, that we would just shine the light that you've given us all around us and remind people that Jesus is not only the Son of God and Savior of the world, but that he loves every single human on this planet. And we pray that you'll help us to provide ways and means to be able to save as many as we possibly can before the hour he calls us home. And Father, we pray that you'll help us to be more like Jesus in all we do and all we say, and that we might reflect his glory everywhere we go. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. I was thinking about a text uh, to launch into this lesson this morning, and one of the thoughts that come to my mind every time I talk about prayer is this little section in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I, I know I may have mentioned that it's this section really helped me get uh, some dumb dumb suckers as a child in Bible class because these are short little verses that you can memorize. But I remember memorizing this thought that we pray without ceasing. And it oftentimes is one of those scriptures, one of those thoughts that I, I'll think about through my day-to-day -day activities that I should be praying everywhere I go. I should be praying in all things I do. That doesn't mean that we never stop praying, that we just constantly are in a, a succinct prayer from the morning we wake up until the night we go to bed. But the idea that Paul's expressing to the church is he wants us to pray continually. It's like there isn't a day that goes by, there isn't a, a, a period of our life where prayer is not a part of it. And so the same is true when it comes to worship. Now we noticed all those spokes on the wheel. And so we've talked about communion. We've talked about, uh, we talked about uh, the, the giving of the offering. We've talked about all these different things but this morning as we focus on prayer, I want to deal with it first of all from a corporation, from a, or not a corporation, from a corporate worship uh, idea, and then we'll go to more personal in our study. If you haven't been here for this series, we've talked about how communion is really the hub. When they got together, it says that they broke bread in Acts 2. That's why they met together in Acts 20. They got together, they broke bread. So instead of saying going to church or going to Bible study, they would say, let's go break bread together. But prayer was an essential part of what they did on the first day of every week. Now, a few weeks ago, we read Acts chapter 2, and we noticed verse 42 when it says specifically that they broke bread and in prayers, in their assembly, they prayed together, every single assembly. And there are some of those assemblies throughout the book of Acts that they pray continually. In other words, they pray on into the night. There's one occasion where they prayed so hard, the house shook. And that's, that's kind of amazing, really, when you think about it, that they prayed so hard and so diligently together that literally the house was shaking. I've never had those earth-shaking type prayers before, but I know that there are times in our lives where we feel like our whole world is coming apart, and we know that we can count on God in prayer. So why do we pray on the first day of every week? Why is it that God has commanded us to pray? What's the significance of it? When we go back to Matthew chapter 6, Jesus expresses to his disciples that they need to pray continually. And he does that by giving them what we call the model prayer or the, the Lord's prayer. And he begins to tell them, if you're going to pray, you should pray like this. And we've covered that text many times. To start out, the idea, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You start off by recognizing who God is. We recognize his essence. We recognize his holiness and like I said a few weeks ago, it's almost like we need to take our shoes off because we're standing on hallowed ground, on holy ground. And that God alone is the only person, only individual, only entity that deserves that kind of dedication. That we are solely praying to God and we recognize that he is holy and his name is holy. When his disciples were watching Jesus go up and down the mountain, they would stop and they would ask him, 
Would you please teach us to pray like this? How do you pray? How can you go up to the mountain and pray so diligently? And there are times that they're within earshot. You know, they would go along with Jesus up to the mountain like they do in Matthew 26. And they get so close that they can hear him at a distance. Now, they do fall asleep, you know. So, but in the prayer of Jesus, they're hearing just enough to put down the words in our New Testament. John does a really good job of showing us the words of Jesus in that prayer in the garden. But his disciples said, Jesus, we want to pray like you. And it's not that they hadn't heard prayers before. It's not that they hadn't been to synagogue service or visited the Sanhedrin and heard them communing together in prayer. There is no question that if you were a Jew and you were raised in a Jewish culture, you understood prayer and you understood the significance and the power of prayer. But there was something special about the way that Jesus prayed. In fact, he's in disguise in Luke 24. And the Bible tells us that he goes into this room. He's uh, disguised as a traveler on the road to Emmaus. This is after his resurrection, of course. And he begins to, to teach and to instruct them in the ways of the Old Testament, all the prophecies. And then he leads the prayer. And as he leads the prayer, it says their eyes were opened. In that moment, they realized that it was Jesus. Because there was something about the way that he spoke. And to be just quite honest with you, there are times that we hear people, and I'm not trying to be critical in any way, I'm not trying to be judgmental in any way, that some people when they pray, they struggle through it. They're not sure what to say, they're not sure how to say it. And there are others who have eloquently prepared their prayer, they very organized. In fact, I remember one time when uh, my oldest son, Luke, led prayer at the table. Uh, he had led before, but he led this very lengthy prayer and uh, when he got done, I said, man, that was, that was fantastic. And he showed me he had a note card with it written down. And he said, is that okay? I said, absolutely, son. That's perfectly fine. And so sometimes we, we write down our prayers because we want to make sure that we get it right. And I want to say something this morning that will probably, hopefully, help you when it comes to prayer. And that is that we worry a lot about what's going to be said, how it's said, exactly the way that it's presented. I remember as a child, one of the first public prayers I ever led, I was so nervous and I said something that I don't think I've ever said since then. And as we closed the prayer, I said, Lord, help us as we journey on home. You know, journey on home. I was like, well, I don't even talk like that. But I said, and my friends, they made fun of me. They said, well, journey on home. Let's journey on home. And I just, I thought, well, I didn't, I was just nervous. And I said that. Lay those anxious thoughts aside. God ultimately wants you to pray because he wants to hear your voice. He wants to hear your voice. We worry a lot about what we're going to say, how we're going to say it. But really, it's about our relationship. And that's the reason why Jesus says when you pray, pray Father in heaven. And God ultimately, his, his goal is to have a relationship with us where we do not turn prayer into some public spectacle. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus' argument against the Pharisees and their prayers is they like to stand in the synagogues and in the street corners and they began to use their words with such eloquence and so people were really uh, uh, anxious about praying because they didn't know how to pray like those guys. I mean, they had memorized words and phrases, and they had these, as Jesus calls it, I don't say this, Jesus says, vain repetition. In other words, as they begin to pray, you could probably pray right along with them because you know what the next line's going to be. 
and you know how they're going to end their prayer. And Jesus encourages his disciples not to pray like that, but to talk to God as a father, as you would approach your parents, if you will, to have a conversation. That it should be that intimate of a relationship that you're not fearing that you're speaking to the God of the universe. Now that's very, uh, you know, difficult to realize I'm talking to the God who created everything. But Jesus says, just talk to him as you're talking to your father who is in heaven. Paul will write several times throughout his ministry about prayer. He'll talk about it in chapter 8 of Romans when he'll say that when we pray, sometimes we don't know how to pray as we ought to. But the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. The idea there he gives is of groaning, where we are so desperate to pray and so, so weak and feeble that we don't know what to say to God, and we just groan, or we, we begin to cry out, and we don't even know the words that are coming out of our mouth. We're so overwhelmed with sadness or discouragement. And he says, don't worry about that. Paul says the Holy Spirit will make intercession for you. You see, you've got a benefit in prayer. You have not only an advocate with Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of God, but you also have inside of you, if you're a child of God, if you've been covered by the blood of Jesus in baptism, you have inside of you the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, don't worry, don't fear, just pray and know that the Holy Spirit will make intercession. He will give utterance to the words that you can't speak, and he will take those to the Father for you. The significance of prayer is who we're talking to, and to our God, to our Father. Well, what did the early church do? Well, we know from Acts chapter 2, which we studied a few weeks ago, that they met on the first day of every week, and they spent time in prayer. How did they pray? What did they pray for? That's a good question to ask. What's the significance of these people in the early church praying every time they were together? Well, the Bible tells us several things about the way that they prayed. They prayed earnestly, they prayed fervently, they prayed without ceasing. In fact, we'll get to singing next week, but he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we sing, we sing in the Spirit, and we sing with understanding. When we pray, we pray in the Spirit, we pray with understanding. One of the great things about prayer is when we're together, we will ask men to come and lead. Different men come up here and lead, whether it be opening prayer, closing prayer, whether it be on the table, and we have several men that, that have volunteered to say, I would love to pray on behalf of the congregation. And so we ask them to pray in the spirit. We ask them to pray with understanding because we together collectively are worshiping God. And we have pro we've chosen this one individual to stand before the presence of God as we all commune together and say, Lord, these are the things that we need or we want today in this assembly. When Paul says pray Without ceasing, what are we praying for without ceasing? Well, over in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he talks about praying for those in authority, that we pray for our government, we pray for our country, we pray for our community, we pray for our congregation, we pray for individuals. Many times when we assemble, we have a prayer list on the back of the bulletin, or actually it's on the inside of the bulletin, that gives us a list of people that have asked for prayer. It's very hard to keep that up, by the way. That is the, one of the most difficult jobs I, I, I mention that to Christy quite frequently, is keeping up with the prayer list. That is so tough because there are people that are on the prayer list and some that have been on there for a long time and others that may be on there for a few weeks and then we, we have another person that needs to go on. And it's, if we really had a prayer list for the church, the four-year would be full of names. 
Because all of us need prayer for some specific reason if we're honest about it. But we have these people in the bulletin that we need to pray for, and it's not just a name on a sheet. It's an individual who is struggling with something, whether it be health-related or family-related or, or whether they're having trouble finding a job. It may be that they have some kind of a, a stress in their life they've asked for prayer for. And so we, on behalf of that individual as a church, we communally pray for those people and for those situations. Now, I love James because at the end of the book, James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, will say to the congregations he's writing to that you should pray because effective, fervent prayers of righteous men avail much. Remember that? Effective, fervent prayers. When we pray, we ask God for something, and we gather people, hopefully together, that we say, I need prayer collectively for this. Could everybody be praying about this? Uh, many times we'll scroll through on social media, and somebody will say, would you please pray for and sometimes we'll like it or we'll heart it or we'll go underneath it and we'll say praying, you know. But do we really stop in that moment and pray? Do we write their name down? Do we, we bring that name or that situation before the presence of God? This is the benefit of being together as a family on Sunday is that we get our minds refocused on things that are the most important in our life. The most important thing is our, our relationship to our God. And so we worship and we assemble. We do all these things that he's instructed us to do. But we're also reminded that there are so many other people within the family besides myself. And we need to reach out to them and let them know that they are loved and that they are being remembered regularly. So what do we do? We know what the early church did. We know what Jesus instructed the church to do. What do, what do we do as a congregation? Well, I bring us back to... Matthew chapter 6, Jesus instructs his disciples to pray. He tells them how to pray. He gives them a model prayer. That doesn't mean that we echo it in vain repetition, because later he'll say, don't do that. But we use it as an example that we pray for our food, we pray for forgiveness, we pray for all these things that he has not only instructed there, but other places in his writings. And that's the reason why in Acts 2 and Acts 4, and other places throughout the book that when they met together on Sunday, it says they were together collectively in prayer. When it comes to communion, Brandon mentioned in 1 Corinthians 11, Jesus, when he served the bread, he blessed it and he broke it. When it came to the cup, he blessed it and he passed the cup around. Those are examples of what we do in worship is we pray collectively. So we, uh, we bow our heads, we close our eyes. We let all those thoughts kind of escape our mind, except for the one thing we're there to do, which is to commune around the table. So we become focused. Prayer should always be a part of our assembly, not just because it's commanded of God and it's the example of the early church, but it's because that's one of the most intimate things we can do, is to humble ourselves and be in stillness for a few moments in prayer. Sometimes you'll hear at, at ball games or maybe even in an assembly that we need to pause and take a moment of silence and we will stop. You ever notice when we do that, the anxiousness of people around you? You know, how long is that moment of silence? Is it a, is it a minute? Is it 30 seconds? I have before had those moments of silence before whether I've asked for it or sat in the pew to hear it. And you get anxious after about 20 seconds. Because you're wondering, when are they going to say, when are they going to say, okay, now he started praying. Because how long is that moment? We don't like stillness. We don't like to be quiet. We don't like to just pause and, and wait. In fact, uh, there are times that 
we're so anxious in groups or if we're sitting in a, a doctor's office or if we're, you know, even on the elevator, which we had this week, you stand there and it's awkward now. It's more awkward maybe than it's ever been because people are on their phones and they've got their phone out and they're, that takes away the awkwardness for them, but it makes it more awkward for everybody else. But yet stillness is to be practiced as Christians, to be still. Back in the Psalms, be still and know that I'm God. When Paul says to pray without ceasing, it's not just saying words out of our mouth, but also thinking, focusing, meditating. That's something that we should do. Now, I want you to remind yourselves of times in your life where you have prayed. And I know that there are times in our lives where we've prayed for things and it hasn't gone exactly the way we wanted. And that's, that's, that's really tough as a child of God when you have walked with God and you've given him your life and you have said, Lord, I need this one thing. Maybe even you've reached that bargaining time. Have you ever done this? Like, God, if you will do this, I will do that. Now, Lord, please, please give me this one particular thing. And it is humbling to ask God for something that we know we cannot do, that we fully have to surrender and say, God, I can't do this. I need your help. I need you to take it. You know, there's a reason why we cast our burdens at the foot of the cross is because only God can handle a lot of the things we've got ourselves into. We get ourselves into the mess, and maybe that's handled, you know, you see with your kids, your kids ever do that? They get into something, and they go, I don't know what to do. You know, I made this big mess. You know, like, well, good luck. You know, here's a mop. Uh, Magic Erase does some great things for your walls, by the way. I think I've paid a lot to Mr. Clean. But the idea is you have messes that you've made and you can't clean up. And so you go to God and you say, God, fix this. God's desire is not to wipe the situation away, but to give you the power to crawl out of the hole that you've dug for yourself or to give you the strength and endurance to clean up the mess that you did. But there's something very special about knowing that whatever you're dealing with, that you're not alone. And that you can say to your church family or to a group of friends, I need prayer and I need prayer right now. I need it. I need it immediately. I need you to stop what you're doing. I mentioned frequently I have a little text group with some of my best friends. And it doesn't matter, even if it's in the middle of the night, that phone goes off, immediately we go to prayer. Because we made a commitment to each other that if there's something we're going through, we'll pray for it immediately. And I've had those texts. Mom got uh, a bad diagnosis with cancer. I've gotten the text from Travis, you know, it's officially been diagnosed as leukemia. And you get that text from your best friends and you're going, oh my goodness, I have to stop and I have to pray. There's power in prayer. But there's exceptional power in prayer when righteous people pray. And when we pray together as an assembly or we pray together as a church outside of this assembly and everybody's praying about the same thing and God answers, what are we supposed to do? Well, we pray again and we praise God. We said, thank you, Lord. You answered my prayer. You answered our prayer. And so it, it takes our desire and multiplies it. And the great thing about social media is sometimes you can post, I need prayer, I need encouragement, and it may go to people. We had people up in, in Gatlinburg this week asking us about people on our prayer list here because they saw it on social media. But there's something special 
about knowing you could count on your family to pray. Now, I, I don't have to tell you because I know there are probably times in your life that you've had answers to prayer and you alone tried and tried to get an answer for it. But when you solicit the support, if you will, of your brothers and sisters, it makes you feel better to know that there are people praying. I had a friend who uh, his wife was dying of cancer. She had, was in a treatment in the hospital and they had a pager. This is back, I'm dating myself here. They had a pager and they gave the number to the church and to people in the community. And they said, when you pray for this lady, text this number. And every time that pager went off, they knew somebody was praying. And one night, it was really late, about three in the morning, and she was, she was very sick. Very sick. And in that moment where they're both in tears, crying, weeping at the pain she was going through, that little pager went off. And they paused and they praised God because they knew in that moment somebody else was in prayer for them. And it's special. Now, I don't have to tell you I'm not going to make her stand up. But I don't have to tell you when we have people within our church family like Abby, when we're praying and we see an answer to God's prayer that we need to praise him. And we believe in it, don't we, Roger? We believe in prayer. And we pray for each other. And we love each other. And that's the special part about being a part of a church family. That's God's design for the church. The church is not some beautiful building that's situated on a key piece of real estate in a city. That's not God's desire. God's desire is not for us to just go build buildings. If we did, then he would have instructed us to do so. But what he asks us to do is to bring people into our fold and to bring them to him so that we can have not just our family, but this large extended church family. And there will be times in your life that you can't count on the people that are blood. But you'll be able to count on those covered by the blood of Christ. And when God answers your prayer, you praise him. You praise him. Praise him in the morning. Praise him in the afternoon. Praise him at night. God deserves that praise because he not only hears, he answers. He answers prayer. Today, I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what may be going on in your life. And maybe you're feeling this anxiousness. We're going to talk about that tonight. Where you're just overwhelmed with something. And you know, I say this every Sunday and I hope that you really understand we're sincere about this. It does not matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what pain, what sin you've committed, whatever it is. The blood of Jesus Christ can and will cleanse all sin. So whatever you're struggling with, just come and say, I want to get this off my shoulders. I want to lay it at the foot of the cross. And then leave it there. Don't pick it up again. Leave it there. And if you're not a child of God, we want you to know God loves you. God loves you more than you could ever imagine. He sent his one and only son to the cross to die in your place. And God is wish, his greatest desire is that you then become a part of his family where you can be together with other brothers and sisters in Christ who are, praise God, not perfect, right? I'm not perfect, that's okay. Because God can take the struggles that I've been through and you've been through and use them to minister to somebody else. So as a family, if you've never been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, you have no idea what you're missing. Not only salvation and forgiveness of sin, but you've got a community of people that will adopt you and will embrace you immediately. 
And from that point forward, you'll know you're never alone because you've got a God who loves you and you've got a family who's here for you. And this morning, if we can help you in those ways, we want to do it. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.